0: We've sort of made it so that a handful of people can tri- can contribute, a handful of people can gatekeep who, what sees the light of day. It seems like genuinely, you know, wild to me that this is a thing that we've settled on, that we think that, you know, and, and all, it's almost like, it's like touted as a benefit, right? It's just like, oh, we, you can make sure that the science is good because we're going to rely on these people who you think are good. The thing that I think is holding us back is the thing that's touted as being a benefit. Like we cannot possibly know what people can contribute, right? Like it's just absurd to me, right? That we try to get a handle on that thing. So I do think that there is so much to be learned and so much to be gained from thinking about open science and open source software. Like these are things that have like, I totally agree with you. There's a huge amount of parallels and we want, and and of course we want to do things that can be both sustainable and and replicable, right? All of those things like limits what other people can do and how much other people can participate. And we want to like take down those barriers as much as possible.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Next Iteration Podcast. Today's guest is very exciting. Dr. Prachi Avasti. Uh, She's a co-founder and incoming CSO at Arcadia Science. Uh, We're going to delve really deep into that work that she's doing there. She's also an associate professor at Dartmouth Dartmouth, uh, Geisel School of Medicine. Geisel School of Medicine. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, (laughs) honestly. Um, And so, yeah, we're really excited to have a a great conversation today on the future of healthcare and sort of what Arcadia is doing to bring that future forward. Uh, And so thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and looking forward to the conversation. You are now listening to the Next Iteration Podcast with your hosts, Fuad and Damien. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeny, and music by Wonderly Music. We hope you enjoy the episode.
2: This may be uh, uh, very familiar to you, but I have an important question to start with. Why does getting a kid to hurry up in the morning make them move 10 times slower? Are children secretly <laughs> yeah. non mutual That's includes? why I
0: asked. Yeah. That's why I asked him for I don't understand it. It's like, well, I do understand it because he's my kid and like, he has a disdain for authority like I do. So I think <laughs> like, just like asking him to do something just makes him not want to do it. And so I get it. And I feel like, I feel like my own mom is like enjoying this a little bit. because like I'm getting a bit of my own medicine. So
2: right.
0: I, I think it's like a, a rebelliousness to authority is what I think it is.
2: So there's this like, disgruntled. This is like a disgruntled appreciation for it, like who he's gonna eventually grow up into. Oh, yeah, you see oh, that yeah. future there.
0: Yeah, I don't even hate it because I like I get it. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I definitely am the exact same way. I think part of the reason I went into tech is like just an absolute disdain for authority. uh so on that note, how has like that disdain for authority shaped like the the path you've led? Like, I imagine it informs a lot of the work behind Arcadia Science, but then medicine is so hierarchical, right? Especially like, yeah. you know, during residency, you're basically somebody who's like number two and like, you know, there's a lot of like hierarchical nature to the, to the world of medicine. So how has that informed like your career decision and things
0: like that? Yeah. So, so I'm a, I'm a PhD, not an MD. Um, and so, you know, but if, what you were saying is hundred percent true of, of like, you know um, you know, academic science also. And I would say that um, I think I've have been very lucky in my career to have um, you know, and Damien and I were just talking about this a, a few minutes ago about how, um, you know, I've been very influenced by people that I didn't know on the internet, you know, just like having a lot of exposure to people and ideas and philosophies, um, that really shaped my own. And so I think that, you know, throughout my sort of scientific and academic career, I have always felt like, um, you know, this, um, you know, feeling of, we should, we should, uh, get a handle on our own agency and, and decide how we operate in the. In science in the world, um, and, and feeling like you know i think sometimes especially when you have this like really hierarchical system it feels like there are all these rules and you just don't need don't know the rules and you need to learn the rules and then you need to follow the rules if you want to advance and and i guess i have never sort of felt like that that especially when you're in a sort of competitive field um that and you want to s- sort of try and advance when there's you know a ton of people for a few few positions and and then it, and then the attrition just gets more and more and more severe as you get along you know i just always felt that like maybe the way in which to compete with a lot of other people is not to just be like everybody else, right? And like try to maximally follow those rules and instead try to, you know, find ways in which you can uniquely contribute, right? Like what makes, like each and every person has something unique to contribute, something special um, that they are particularly good at, that they can bring to their work and and sort of leaning into those things and letting you, you know, yourself shine in those ways that you are really particularly good at, right? And so I think that that has always been sort of my philosophy and, and part of this sort of rebelliousness to not wanting to just, do the thing that that you're supposed to do or that everybody want you know wants you to do and, and, and actually interrogating whether you believe in those things, do they align with your values, do they align with your goals? do they align with your you know your vision? Um, and I think that has been sort of my overarching feeling that that that's something that is a much more um, you know fruitful and um, rewarding um, philosophy and, and way to go about navigating your career.
1: That reminds me of the quote that's often attributed to Einstein, though I'm not sure if it's actually from him about judging a fish's ability to climb a tree. Um, and it's sort of the same vein, right? You have a very structured um, environment in academia where there are very strict rules and you have to do this and do that. And it's like a million people competing for the same three positions. But if you actually follow that rubric, you're shooting yourself in the foot, right? Because you, then you're not. You could do everything they want you to do, but you still won't end up getting the position that you want. Right? Well, this is what I Which- say
0: too, is especially if it doesn't like align with what you think should be the case. Because I think a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that, right? Like they don't want to play by those rules. Mm-hmm. They don't think that, you know, it, it doesn't align with what they believe in. And then they, they you know, it's like solely killing them inside to like follow those rules and like do the things that they, you know, not, in ways that they don't, that they don't really, they really can't get behind. And and I always say this to people is like, if you if you did like exactly like what you said, if you. Sort of like sell your soul and you still don't get that competitive thing like what do you have left <laughs> you know like, you know it's like at least yeah. if you try to navigate in the way that you think that you know in the way that you want science and your career and your life to be right like i think we can materialize those things like we can make those things happen and and if we keep offloading that onto somebody else like it is it is always if it's always somebody else's job to make that future into like what we all want it to be like i don't know how it happens like i actually don't know how it's possible to make something better happen if we don't like ourselves decide to do it. Right.
2: Mm. I think it's interesting though, that, you know, there's still a place for constraints and for rules. Cause if you imagine a system where there were no rules or constraints set in place, there's either it's, I guess, two avenues, right? One is either nobody does anything because nobody knows what to do or two, it's just pure pandemonium. So (laughs) I guess the rules help, uh, that system kind of flow in a way. And then, you know, with those in place, you can figure out where would be the most like artistic artful ways to break those rules, to, to make more innovation or serendipity come about, um, through that. Mm
0: -hmm. I think it's just a little bit more rooted in humility. The idea that if you start with a set of like a framework or a set of rules, it's sort of like, you know, and then everyone has to conform to that thing. That's as good as it can be. That's as best Mm -hmm. as the best that it can get, right? It doesn't realize that good ideas come from anywhere and that we can actually maximize things. We can make the whole system better, right? Like we have to recognize that there are ideas out there that can make things better. And if we have to be so rigid and constrained within that framework that, you know, it doesn't fit everyone. And it wasn't frankly designed for everyone, right? Like it was designed by like a Mm -hmm. few people (laughs) like very Mm -hmm. narrow set of people and that that, and if we actually want that to be, if we want you know, the framework to be open to everybody and to actually leverage everyone's strengths and maximize what's possible, like, those are not the right rules, like, even if you, like, believe in, the, in, in rules or some sort of framework, like, mm-hmm. we have to be able to be flexible in this way and find a better way. Right. to move
2: forward. And that's reflected in the ethos of Arcadia and their open science um, initiative, right? So um, could you use this opportunity to just explain Arcadia a bit? Um, what's your mission? And what are you hoping to accomplish with it?
0: Yeah, so I would say that, you know, the reason why I'm so excited about this and the reason why we wanted to do it, it's, you know, Arcadia is actually like a really big experiment in a lot of different dimensions, right, in the way that we do science, right? And so, yes, of course, like the, the, the you know, overarching scientific goal is to expand, you know, the, uh, you know, sort of diversity of biology that we look at to let evolution solve biological problems. So rather than focusing on just humans and things that are like humans to actually, you know, <clears throat> evolution is done many, many more experiments than we can do in the laboratory, right? So to be able to look in the right place, to use the right system, to answer the right question, these are of course like the scientific goals and the focus of Arcadia. And that part is the part where we try and change uh, uh, what science gets done, right? So these are things that we fundamentally understand, like why, um, you know, there are a lot of examples in which, you know, the diversity of biology has led to huge technologies that have completely changed the way that we do science, right? you might be aware of CRISPR or, like, you know, PCR things that have come up <laughs> a lot in recent uh, times. Whether it's for, you know, COVID testing or, or um, you know, genetic man- uh, manipulation. But these things came from like a diversity of biology. They didn't come from studying humans, right? Um, and so we have lots of examples of this happening. But even, but when push comes to shove, and there's limited resources, that's not where we put our money, right? That's not where mm-hmm. we put our energy. Mm-hmm. And you know, especially when you think of like limited funds in the public sector, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and really bro- more broadly. And so this was one of the things that we wanted to do is to change what kind of science gets done and gets supported. So that's that part. But then we're not, we're also trying to change um, how that science gets funded and how that science gets communicated, right? So that's the how it gets funded part. This is one of the reasons that we're <clears throat> a, a for-profit institute, right? It's a for-profit research and development company. That's what we really are, right? Um, and the goal there is that, you know, you know I don't want to just be a building that does cool stuff and everyone's like, oh, good for them. They have a lot of money. They can do cool stuff, right? What we want to do is like continue to do that these experiments, right, like continue to be able to be sort of self-sustaining so that we don't just take our money and run it to the ground and then experiment over, right? So we want to generate some sort of um, model in which we can continue to do these experiments, right? And we want to be able to, you know, we have, you know, a a large stable support of um, funding for a long runway, right? but everyone doesn't have that right and we don't want it to be that that uh, we want all of this kind of science and this uh, you know rethinking how science is done to be available to other people right and to do that we have to attract more investors right like we have to be able to demonstrate that that you know the doing the kind of science in, in the way that we think is really efficient or 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 trying these different models that we can generate something that is you know can actually generate some value some commercial value right and if we can if we can make that case if we can actually you know, um, demonstrate that by running our own experiment, hopefully we can attract a whole lot of other investors to think differently in what they put their money in, right? So that even for for our kind of basic science, you know, it's really difficult. It takes a long time sometimes in order to, you know, manifest itself in, in something that can generate value, right? But we, you know, and, and then investors may think, oh, we need like 10x return on investment in a year. Right. And so we we need to change like what people think of is worth investing in. Right. And so that's Part of that experiment is to sort of attract that kind of funding. First of all, making sure that we're self-sustaining so that we can continue our experiment longer term, but then also attract different kinds of investors so they can be like ten more Arcadias, not just one, right? So it's really trying to have impact. How much um, you know can be done in the outside our walls, not just within our walls, right? Um, and so that is like a broader aspiration of that thing. And then, of course, the, the thing that I'm really passionate about, one of the reasons that I'm involved in this at all, is is to change how we communicate science right <clears throat> i believe that open science is better science it's better for the uh, you know scientific rigor it's better for the speed of science it's just again capturing like all the ideas are not going to live in one building like if we want to do the best science possible we have to have that broad conversation with the community right mm-hmm. and so and and we do a lot of things in in the um process of doing science and especially within academic science to sort of close those things off, right? And to limit how much um, is available and how much other people can build on. And all it's all in service of something else, right? It's in service of like scientists advancing their own careers rather than acting in service of the science, right? Mm-hmm. So, so what we would like to do is try and decouple those things and say, what if, what if we wanted to actually do the thing, do the best science that we could we could do and not restrict that, not limited, not hold it secret until we were ready to publish some big paper or whatever, you know, in some fancy journal and say, you know, what What we really want to do is to make sure that from all phases of the research cycle, from ideation to protocols, to act the actual science the, in a modular way, a, as we are doing the science, you don't want to find out at the end of like a two, three-year project that like the methods you were using was wrong and that there's better reagents or, you know, um, you know, techniques available. So you mm-hmm. wanna have that conversation with all the people who are experts everywhere, right? And if everyone else who can contribute that are, especially when you're doing the kind of broad science that we're doing, we can't know where all that expertise lives and where all the passion and the you know, important um, science that can, um, where we can help them, they can help us, we can't know that ahead of that, So the only sensible thing I think is to make it open, right? Is Absolutely. to make it available and let the people find, you know, make sure that we are, you know, communicating and trying to reach as broad of a community as, as we can and have that uh, have that two-way communication. So that's something that we're really, and I think these are all synergistic goals, right? Like changing what science we do, how we, how we fund it, how we communicate it. If we wanted to maximize all of those things that they need to happen in parallel, we want to make sure that, for example, if you wanted to, you know, generate value from basic science That requires a longer runway, but you know, what shortens that runway is doing open science and doing faster science because we're not hoarding it and keeping it to ourselves until, you know, some time where we are ready to share it. Right. And so I think that Mm -hmm. every sector, both the private sector, public sector can be more open in their science. And that's also like one of the things that we're trying to show is that open science and commercialization are not mutually exclusive, right? That we, that there's so much discovery science that can happen, right? And that can really advance and be much better and much more rigorous, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And then that is still so much of that happens long before you ever get to the point where you have something that's like commercially viable, right? Right. And So we continue to share that, build on it, give it back to the community, right? Like have other people give us feedback on that thing. That's another big feature of our sort of our open science goals is to make sure that People are you know giving us public feedback. So a lot of people say, Oh, you're just gonna release that, you're not publishing things in journals. What about peer review, right? How do you know that what you're doing is solid, right? And that is the big challenge, right? So what we it's not that we're saying we don't believe in that thing, we don't believe in peer review. In fact, we're saying that mm-hmm. our science is better the more people, you know, comment at mm-hmm. it, not two or three secret randos, you know, that are <laughs> like you know, keeping everything um, you know, under closed doors and then just you know trying to take the whole body of like interdisciplinary science that you were putting out there and like evaluating that and giving it a false sense of security for a stamp of truth. Like that's not the right <laughs> way to do science, I don't think. So I think the you know the, the goal is to broaden that and have a lot more people participating. Like like I said, we don't know where all those good ideas live. We don't know who has um you know ideas and, and, um, you know, criticism that can make our science better. We're not afraid of being wrong. We just want it to be better science. Right. And so Mm -hmm. so having that two-way broad um, conversation with the community, having them, you know, interact with our work and say, this is, or isn't useful. Right. Like that is the thing that we're really after is, you know, when you remove constraints in the ways that we are, we are able to do here and not have to sort of play by all of those same rules. Sometimes that, you know, that's a, a lot harder, right? Like if you have, one option out of 10, right? It's easy to decide what to do. When you can do anything <laughs> and you can pursue anything and you can put your resources towards <clears throat> Now it's like, now it's like a, it's a hard challenge. And for us, the biggest goal is where can we put our effort, energy, resources, money um, that we can have the biggest impact outside, right? Like not for us, but for, you know, why, how can we make it so it will have mattered that we did this thing, right? And mm-hmm. so that is something that, you know, because we don't have, we're not just relying on these proxies for quality, like the stamp of, you know, the um, you know, false sense of security for the stamp of truth. Like we're not relying on those things. So we actually have to do like meet a higher bar. We actually have to do something important and useful,
2: <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so like, mm-hmm. we have
0: to do things that matter to people. We have to do things that that, you know, that other people can build on and we have to make our science better. and so that is it's a it's a higher bar, it's harder to measure, it's harder to, you know, do a lot of these things, but i think that again, you know, it's uh, it's just important to try, right? And I think the only way for us to, we were doing these experiments, right? And we're trying to find the best way to do it and we're gonna iterate on them just like you guys. <laughs> this is why I like, <laughs> love, love, your, <laughs> love your ethos. We are gonna try and like do things and iterate on them and try to make them better. And I think the only way for us to really fail is to sort of like revert back to what's already being done. Like we want mm-hmm. it to matter that we tried these different things and we wanna put the results of those experiments out into the open so that other people can find them useful and say, hey, like, we you know, we wanna, plant the flag on the outside, move the Overton window on what people think is possible with Mm -hmm. how we do science, right? And then let other people decide, like, oh, maybe they can take some piece of our experiment or something else works in their framework. Who knows, you know? Um, And Mm -hmm. and they can give us their ideas on other ways that they've done it in their organizations and things like that, right? So these are things that, you know, these are the real aspirations of Arcadia is to try and change the way that we Mm -hmm. do science and try to find better ways and really push ourselves to not just revert to what we know. Right. It's, it, it, can, it can, it's easy mm-hmm. to say like, Hey, you know, we're going to do something new and cool, you know, like, but then, you know, the way, the place where that falls apart is like the, the second you come to something you don't know how to solve. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you get to something you don't know how to solve, that's really a difficult problem. It's like really, really easy to revert back to and say like, well, I know that in this other circumstance, this is how you would, tackle it right <laughs> and in that way like that is a slippery slope right back to what we were do- what we were doing right so right. you have to be extremely vigilant to like really ask yourself okay i don't know how to solve this problem in this new context what, you know, we take what we know, and what other people know what everyone else has learned, but just ask ourselves constantly, like, is this the thing that will help us, you know, will it help us continue to move towards our vision? Will it help us, you know, really push the envelope on what what we think is possible? Or, you know, or is it something that threatens to bring us back to, you know, just making a clone of what already exists, right? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. The only failure is stasis, right? And then yeah. it brings it back to like, the whole first principles thinking, right? Like, Yes, there is a way to solve this, and yes, it's a balance between taking what we already know and figuring out how we've already solved it, but rethinking that from first principles and really trying to understand, hey, like what are the elements of the solution that work, what don't, and how do they align with our vision? I think it's super important. You you touched on so many points. I think you're like so so passionate about this, and it really really shines through. But one thing that in particular that stood out because uh, I come from a software background is sort of like how similar this is to open source software, right? Open science, open source software, like kind of parallels, but one has progressed, you know, in a very different way than the other, I feel like, especially in the public consciousness. And I think that has a lot to do with sort of like how academia is structured, um, how software is structured, who does software, right? A lot of, you know, random ragtag people in their basements and things like that. Um, So what learnings have you taken kind of from the open source software movement and translated to the open science movement?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's this this idea of having, you know, a lot more people being able to contribute to it. So you hit on this point exactly, right? And this is something that is like, unnecessarily siloed in my opinion, right? Like we've sort of made it so that a handful of people can tri- can contribute, a handful of people can gatekeep who, what sees the light of day. It seems like genuinely, you know, wild to me that this is a thing that we've settled on that we think that, you know, and, and all, it's almost like, it's like touted as a benefit, right? It's just like, oh, we, you can make sure that the science is good because we're going to rely on these people who you think are good to decide whether it's good. you know. Like it just becomes this, like, you know the thing that I think is holding us back is the thing that's touted as being a benefit, right? Like it's almost like you feel like you mm-hmm. just I feel like very uh, disconnected from like you know like the sort of values of that thing and what I think is you know the things like you said that we that we've learned from the benefits of making you know uh, making things available to other people to contribute in the ways that they can, right? Like we cannot possibly know what people can contribute, right? Like it's just absurd to me, right? That we try to get a handle on that thing and then we try to give that you know it's all about you know having these proxies for you know, letting people rely on quality when they they feel like they can't necessarily assess the quality of something themselves, right? Or when they can't Mm -hmm. um, decide whether or not they should rely upon it. And the truth is, like, that's not how we do science anyway, you know? Like, it's not like anyone just, you know, reads some paper and, like, swallows it wholesale and then just, like, does assumes that it's true, like people replicate experiments Mm -hmm. and they, then they try to build on them. The first, the first thing they do in a laboratory is to say like, Oh, let's see if it works in our hands, you know? (laughs) So they are doing rigorous science that don't rely on somebody else's opinion out the, you know, but, but at the same time, then when it comes time to evaluate and and progress people in their careers and make decisions about money and all of those things, now, all of a sudden we rely on those things Mm -hmm. again. Right. And so, so I do think that there is so much to be learned and so much to be gained from like, you know, thinking about open science and open source software like these are things that have like I totally agree with you there's a huge amount of parallels and we want things and we and of course we want to do things that can be both sustainable and, and replicable right and so even our you know our ultimately our platform for where we will share our science will also be like uh, you know on open source software like we want people to be able to mm-hmm. replicate what we're doing um and not just um limit it's all about like having more impact than we can you know in-house so anything that we control anything that we keep secret all of those things like limits what other people can do and how much other people can participate and we want to like take down those barriers as much as possible
2: yeah and just to underline those parallels so like composability is to software what compound interest is to finance and then open science is that very same thing for science as well and speaking to your what you were mentioning about the traditional The traditional way scientific pursuit was conducted. That's where this whole idea of like publish or perish or p hacking, like all of these, come as a consequence of that, right? There's too much pressure to stay relevant, and not enough funding to go around, like you mentioned. But I look at like what you guys are doing here, and I know this is a very grandiose claim, so I, I don't know. We'll see where this goes. But I look at what you guys are doing here, and and I think like could this potentially be like what Bell Labs once was? And, you know, like for, for those that don't know, Bell Labs was considered, was and probably still is considered the premier research facility of its type. Um, in, I think there were like nine Nobel awards that were awarded to the, the researchers there, five touring awards. And I was looking um, up at this, uh, looking this up a couple of weeks ago. Apparently there was also a couple Academy awards, an Emmy and a Grammy as well. That was won by, <laughs> wow. I was like, I, I didn't wild. even know that could be No done. way. I didn't know just, that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it just, a small group of incredibly, incredibly high value people doing world changing things. Yeah. What do you think about that claim? Like, do you think this could be what Bell Labs once was?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think our aspiration is just to get people to rethink what their, their constraints are right. Like that's, that's how I thought about like everything, wh- whether in my academic career or here is to really, you know, get people to rethink what's possible, where they can put their energy or funding, how science has to be done. There's so many feelings of like, it has to be this way. These are the rules. Right. And so I think we're sort of just asking people to question that. And I, you know, could some of the things that we do, like some some Version of what we do in some dimension end up being a, a model that other people can use. I hope so. You know, I hope so. I don't know that like wholesale is this is this um, you know version of what we're trying to do going to be the model for anything. I, I don't know. And and for me, I just want to you know make sure that um, it that the impact of what we do like it, that it matters that we did it right. So I really just so my aspiration is more that we. You know run a lot of these different experiments. We do them in like a, a sort of systematic way that we can um demonstrate what the value is, find ways in which to measure that, like try and actually make the case that that you know what would it look like if we could do science in this way, right? If we could do science in service of science and society and like actually focus on the thing that we actually care about most, right? You know, and not you know and, and, and it's so easy, right? I've heard it my entire career. Well, we can't do that because what about the system and this things, and these other requirements and these constraints, and this is the reality. And I'm always constantly told by everyone what the reality is, right? Like, I feel like my whole universe is the whole, everyone telling me what reality actually is. I'm like, okay, I, I live in that same reality. I understand, but but I think that they're, the only way to actually try and find a way to progress is to push the boundaries on that thing, right? And so, and to you know rethink our assumptions, right? And actually demonstrate. And sometimes I have spent a lot of my career trying to persuade people that it could be different, right? like nudging that boulder, trying to say like, we could, you know, do things in this way. And, and I think sometimes you can, you can talk into the blue in the face, but sometimes you just have to do it. And that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So I think if the goal here is to actually do something different, try and see what is working and hope, hopefully in that way, try and persuade others to rethink what they think is possible for them.
2: Or be like Steve Jobs and have your own reality distortion field. You know, you. Kind of <laughs> oh,
0: I am a reality distortion. field. <laughs> I see that, I see that. Awesome.
2: My reality has already been distorted. I feel like it's a virtual <laughs> background
1: <right> now. <laughs> awesome. uh, I'm a big quotes guy today, but this reminds me of that Picasso quote as well. Learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. And it seems like, Oh, I you love guys that. Like, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. It seems like you guys have already learned the rules super well, which I'm also interested in like, how did Arcadia kind of form? Like, how did, you take this ethos of a bunch of people separately thinking of, wow, like I want to rethink these assumptions. I want to change the way that science is done. I'm not satisfied with, you know, just like trusting this random reviewer and like having that stamp of authority or whatever it is. Right. How did that translate into an organization? And I guess it's still a process of happening, but how does that translate to like, okay, these are, this is what we do and this is how we're going to do it. Right. Cause I feel like there's a lot of people can relate to you, especially in our audience or who have these ideas, but don't know how to translate that idea from something to that actually
0: tangibly exists in the world. Right. I hear you. Yeah. And so I think that this is, you know, it, it's sort of a, you know, sort of strange coming about. So my co-founder is So she and I didn't even know each other before this. Um, so this is not like something that we've like spent our careers, like hatching this plan or whatever. <laughs> like, I didn't know her, like, I think I've literally only known her a year <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> um so um but basically like she had been thinking about like I- investing in something like this um, um she and her partner Jed had and like been thinking about this for some time and they had she's been having a lot of different conversations and um and so and I think they had the sense at some point that there was going to be you know you know that they wanted there to be some sort of open science component to this and so um uh, so, we actually have a mutual friend, Seaman and I have a mutual friend, uh, Jamie Frazier, um, and, and he and I know each other and, and they have been friends a long time. So, the way in which um, we know each other, so I'm the president of an organization called ASAP Bio, which is, uh, it is uh, trying to promote innovation and in life sciences communication. So, I've been working in the open science space a long time in a lot of different ways and through a lot of different organizations. Um, And so, so I'm the president of this organization. Jamie's the vice president. And like, that's how I know him is through this organization. um, And we've been working together for some time. Um, And so when, when CMA was thinking about this and talking with Jamie about it, you know um, that they had this sort of conversation about um, what, what this could look like. And, and I think she was sort of trying to rope him into, <laughs> into participating in some capacity. And he's like, oh, you don't want me, but I know who you do want. <laughs> and so he put the two of us in touch and we had like, a um, you know, uh, initial conversation about it over zoom. Cause it was in the, in the pandemic. Right. Um, so I was in Vermont, like at, <laughs> over at Dartmouth and, and she was, uh, you know, in, in the Bay area. And so we had this like conversation and then like, I think is pretty emblematic of, how she and I work, which is that, you know, as soon as we started discussing, um, we just started working, right? Like we just started writing up documents and coming up with ideas and thinking what it could look like and do, you know, and it's sort of like, I would say that this would be like step one is there's always a lot of talking and then trying to turn that talking into doing is like a huge, like, barrier right because there's a lot of people that are willing to kick around ideas but then um i think she and mm-hmm. i are both like extremely um this this phenotype like we're both like once once we have our project we just like start doing it right and in fact Amazing. that's you know we actually to, i think that's to how like data yeah yeah, because like, yeah, we do a me- lot
1: of talking. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of talking. No, I mean, I love talking. I think there's a lot to be gained from like batting around ideas and all of those things, but it, like there needs to be some execution component of that thing too, right? And that also requires people to want to like, you know, really flesh things out and think about how to take the next steps, how to move it um, forward. Um, and so... Um, you know I think that's how like Jamie actually put us in touch too because I think I was talking to him and I'm like oh I need a project and he's like oh do I have one for you <laughs> you know um and so so yeah so we started working and then she sort of like um at, we were sort of had worked on this and then kind of nothing for a couple months and then she called me up and she said like can I get you to fly out for a day you know and this was like in the middle of the pandemic you know no one was flying out for a day for anything you know <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm like, yes. And so we came out, I came out here, uh, to the Bay area. We had this like in-person meeting with a handful of people that we were talking with and we sort of just did more batting around of ideas. And then the next, um, the next day she and I went to lunch and we we're like, are we, are we doing this? Like, are we like, are we talking? Are we just going to like forever. are we going to just talk about this or are we going to do something? And then, and we sort of made a plan. We're like, okay, everyone that we got here together, we're going to like hold hands and we're going to do it together. Like we're going to jump together, you know? And then eight seconds later, we're like, screw it. You and I will just do it. <laughs> you know? It was just like, there was just this, um, you know, try to like this momentum, right? Like going from this, you know, ideas to how can we make this happen? And then a couple months later, we had another in-person meeting by that time. I think we were already incorporated. So like, it was literally just, um, you know, trying to take take the next steps, like what needs to happen? How do we make those things happen? Um, and, and pushing those, those ideas forward and then trying to have a million conversations and learn what we need to learn in order to like, neither of us have done this before, you know? (laughs) I mean, she had run her company, like she had started a company called Trove, like, like, shortly before this, right? Like within a year before this happened. Um, so she was sort of starting, to, starting to explore that space and getting something going with, the, with a company of hers. So she had a good head start, and that was actually really, really helpful because she had g- overcome some of the, you know, challenges with understanding how to start a business and things like that. And she had, she had sort of like done that already. And so that really helped inform like some of our initial steps with, with Arcadia science. Um, and then, and then it was like, you know, trying to build what that vision was, thinking about like what we're uniquely bringing, what could we contribute? Obviously we had like very strong opinions on a lot of these things about how we could, uh, you know, try to change how we go about doing the science. Um, and so, um, and then it was just uh, trying to have that vision like manifest itself in, in how, what structures are needed to make it happen, what people are needed to make it happen. Um, and that's one thing, you know, like this is a grand experiment and it's not infinitely big. Um, And that means that, you know, obviously there's a lot of interest in what we're doing, but we're, but, you know, in many ways we we do have this gold vision and we do, we are trying to sort of, um, you know, try to have the sum be better than its parts, right? Like we don't want it to be limited to by us or just for us. Right. And so in order to make that happen, we need to try and recruit the kind of people who will help us like lift this thing and bring it to the, (laughs) you know, closer to our vision. Right. And so, so that, that is a thing where like trying to, trying to find that, like find people who, who really believe in that thing. And it's like, and is it's not, you know, that, and for the, for the reasons that, that we have, right. In order to try and realize a different vision of science and not just what can they get out of it. Right. And so that is, that is sort of one of the, you know, bigger challenges is because, you know, like, you know, academia, for example, it's like, it's this gigantic boulder, right. It's this huge bureaucracy, like trying to get anything to change is difficult. And so we need people who are like adaptable and want to try and help us like get to the place that we're trying to get, right? Or trying to find ways to move forward in that way. And so so that we are not trying to like drag everyone along, you know, like right. everyone doesn't feel the same way. Everybody doesn't want the same things. Um, and so trying to trying to figure out how to, you know, generate, you know, an organization that, that is so, that is maximally effective at trying to run these experiments. Mm. That's the real challenge going forward.
2: But I just got to. You guys move quick. Like I'm very impressed with the speed you guys are moving. So, um, I love that. How, like, how hard was it to build the culture around that?
0: Um, we're still building it. So, I mean, I think it, it is. It is. Um, I think in some ways it's, um, you know, very much around people, right? And so I think that's why we're so vigilant about like you know, I think she and I are very strong personalities and, and also, um, and we have our own like very strong feelings about what we're trying, trying to do. Um, and we try to, like, that is the, I mean, we are sort of day in, day out trying to like, you know, sort of state and reiterate the, these values and try to, you know, cause these are not just, um, there can be lots of opinions on how to do, like how to execute things. Right. But, but there are still like foundational values that that we are trying to achieve. Right. And, and not, and even though it's difficult and, and it's, it runs against problems with, you know, trying to operate with the outside world, there are lots of pulls to try and not adhere to those, right? Um, because that's, you know, these are things that have been difficult in other systems, right? In different sectors. So it's like different, difficult to do this, you know, um, agile experiment in other contexts. And that's one of the reasons we're doing this sort of like outside, <laughs> outside of our context. So i are leaving our academic jobs to go do this thing, right? Is because right. we are trying to do this in a way that allows us to be agile and run, you know, and to not have to like, you know, Adhere to the constraints of these other systems, right? And so, so, but that that that's like a constant pull, right? But we are pretty vigilant on that thing, and then also again, like trying to help, you know, find and identify the people who are, you know, these this early set of people are really really important, right? And towards setting that culture, right? And so, so I think that that is something that we are trying to do very carefully, and try to make sure that that you know that we that we are, you know. um Working towards the same goals, and that that we have that set that as a really strong foundation. And I think that if we are successful at it, you know, like these are things that will propagate, uh, you know, throughout the organization, like with us, without us, whatever, right? Like that mm-hmm. is like setting that culture is something that that is something is um, foundational, right? Like we're we're trying to set that foundation so that it can <clears throat> so that it can sort of um, seep throughout the organization, regardless, right? Um, But our structures are set up that way, right? We are thinking about ways to signal that, not just in language, right? (laughs) There's also like in structures and in thinking about trying not to create artificial hierarchy unless we need it for, you know, for um, very specific reasons and only when we need it, right? And and not to have, you know, and to have open sciences built into the fabric of this organization right like these are things that we it's what we believe in and we're trying to of course everyone has come from different places and their expectations are different right like even right. for for even how they communicate their science and so this is one of those things where part of this is like engineering solutions where we can actually even bring our own people to rethink how they discuss their science and how frequently they do it and how early they do it and all of these things and how how um actively they solicit you know public feedback and all of those things, right? These are things that nobody does, like is used to doing, right? So like we have to establish those practices and like operate in that way and continue to try to make that more efficient and better and in ways that um, help us do our science better and help give back more to the community and all of those things, right? So, so some of these are just like, we have to like try, we have to establish those things and part of it. And again, like very much our philosophy is like, just do it and then, and then try to find ways to make it better. Iterate on that thing,
2: yeah. Um, I'm curious about, so obviously something you really push with Arcadia is the study of non-model organisms. And that seems to be the focus right now. Now, the reason model organisms have been used for so long is because they're well understood. The way they translate to human biology is well understood and well documented. But is the is your goal with studying non-model organisms to study individual phenomena or to identify new candidates for model organisms?
0: Yeah. So we are definitely not doing the latter, right? So we definitely don't want to just take a bunch of non-models and turn them into models right Right. like that is one thing you could do we can make a top to bottom pipeline and say like hey we're gonna pick a handful of organisms and we're gonna create, we're gonna like sequence genomes and we're gonna make them genetically tractable and we're gonna make sure that you can do microscopy on them and we're gonna do all these things and do top to bottom and like just generate like new model systems or whatever that is definitely not what we're doing right and so (laughs) what we're doing instead is to actually try to um, it's, it's, it's difficult, right? Like what we're trying to do is to say, let's find like these big gaps in knowledge, trying to find like what are important questions in science that people are not able to tackle right now? And then say for every single one of those questions to say, what is the right way to ask this question, to answer this question, right? Like what is the right system to answer it in? And what are the right comparisons across organisms to answer this question, right? Like what is the the most powerful way to answer this question, right? And so, you know, if we just study humans and things that are like humans, that is like a tiny slice of the tree of life. We have no idea of the breadth of biology that is possible right? (laughs) If I have to convey one thing, it is like how little we know about biology because that's all we focus on, right? And, and, And the rest of evolution has found all of these ways in which to interact with biology, right? Like organisms interact with other organisms. They hijack each other's biology. There's new ways in which they operate. They operate in different you know extreme environments they 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 operate in all of these different ways that we don't even know are possible because that because we don't study them right mm-hmm. and those things can be then co-opted to help us engineer solutions for human biology right but we're just not even taking advantage of all of the ways in which it already is happening absolutely right? And so for us, it's very much asking that question and coming up, and I think one of the biggest contributions we can make to science is actually to come up with important, like, um, interesting ways to generate that pipeline to answer that question. Like, what is the right way to answer a scientific question? And where can you see where it has already been leveraged? And there are good reasons, like you said, that people don't do this already, right? Like, there's technological challenges to why this can't happen. There's, you know, there's resource challenges to why this can't happen, right? And so, but we can do it within Arcadia, and I think we can solve some of these problems for the scientific community and say, you know, we can start to think about, you know, common principles across systems where we can solve those problems and we can allow then others, even outside our walls to say, what's the right system to answer the right question, right? So that they don't, when they apply for, you know, traditional funding, they don't get told like, oh, why don't you do this in mice or in yeast? Because that's, you know, where you have tools and everything. Then we, we can sort of unlock the ability, hopefully to, so that they can answer the, the you know, right question with the, in the right system and it, and they can attract even the really big money in the public sector, right? So like, I think that there's a lot of potential for us to solve a lot of problems and we don't have to work on those constraints because we can say we're not limited by, you know, the technology, we can develop technology to make some of those systems tractable, right, like we can make it so that we can find ways to cultivate a lot broader range of organisms in a laboratory, we can find ways in which we can, you know, come up with, you know, ways in which they can be you know, um, studied more in their natural environment where they're more likely to thrive if they can't, you know, thrive in isolation in, in the laboratory, right? And so so we can try and find, like solve as many of these problems as we can to make it you know, possible for people to answer questions in this way. So it's very much not trying to like, you know, select organisms and then commit to them. And then, you know, cause that would, I think it would be the same problem, right? Like it would then, we would then be only restricted to those, right? <laughs> so what we really want to do is to say, Biology has done a lot of experiments, right? Evolution has done a lot of experiments. Where can we take it? How can we take advantage of that and really find, you know, new ways in which we can, you know, study biology, engineer biology to, to do new things and things that will, of course, ultimately, I think we will find a huge number of new ways in which to interact with and manipulate human biology by, by doing this, you know? Mm. Yeah.
2: Um, are you familiar with the Biomimicry Institute or ask nature, those sites?
0: No, I hit my knot with, no so, I'm
2: not. No, so you would love this. I yeah. I'll send it to you after. But there's um the Bible I think they host this site. It's called Ask Nature. Uh-huh. Essentially, it just document. First cool. so all, it's a beautiful site. Um, but it documents the different ways where, um, researchers scientists have leveraged ways that uh, nature has already solved problems that we are experiencing, and awesome. then translating those into like the world. Right? That's they awesome. use like. I don't know, moth eye. they've studied moth eyes and used the, the science of how they're formed to, to innovate on the way lenses are built, yeah, things that's
0: like awesome. that. Yeah, um, exactly. And that sounds e- exactly like us. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it's
2: incredible um, the extent of it, right? Because it's easy to underestimate the value of how important this mission is. But when you hop on a site like that and you see just how much nature has impacted the way that we conduct science it really underlines how valuable this this mission is so maybe there could be a potential symbiotic relationship between oh yeah the no i mean i think that this and... is
0: like no and I, and i think that there's and i you will know, well, be clear like this is not something we invented right like this is something yeah, yeah. that you know scientists all over the world like have been like you know pushing you know the barriers even even in limited resources without those technologies, they've taken like, you know, gotten critical mass in their fields and like push forward the biology because people believe in this so strongly because it is so powerful, right? And so, so this any model systems that have been developed, like all of these things and, and and non-models that people have been pursuing for exactly these reasons, there have been, you know, there are tons of scientists everywhere, people we don't even know that have been like pushing on this, trying to find ways to make it happen. and And I think of us as really trying to enable this, more of this kind of science to attract you know you know different kinds of funders to try and support this kind of science like really try to unlock for the community what they are able to do right and so so i so i mean i don't doubt that there is this and and hopefully many many more and i hope we can also what what i'm learning from this experience is actually that that there is um you know there are so many different important communities that don't even talk to each other, right? <laughs> that they they are working in parallel towards very similar goals, but they don't necessarily even talk to each other. To you know they they work within their fields because they need to in order to push the, that science forward, right? And so so hopefully I think that's one of the more important functions that we can also provide is to to really think about how we can connect communities that and be sort of like a big you know uh, sort of platform and beacon for for pushing forward this kind of science and 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 helping to connect people and, and also advance what they are able to do.
1: It seems like you guys are going for such a foundational approach to the way that science is built. I'm curious to hear about sort of like your peers in the academic community and how the scientific world at at large has like reacted to this. (laughs) I mean, it's such a revolutionary approach. I'm sure there's been a lot of pushback and I'm wondering how you guys react to that.
0: Yeah. And so I will say that, like, you know, I know I am aware of the pushback and I think most people don't tell it to our face, you know, <laughs> um, but I do think that, you know, I, I hope that we, um, you know, my aspiration is that, that I hope that people don't see this as a zero sum game. Like, in fact, like we are, we are, we are purposely, you know, we're trying not to, um, be a burden on the system. Like we are leaving our academic jobs. We are not going to be continuing to take public sector money. Like that is not something where we are now competing with other people in order for for those same resources. What I hope is that, you know, we are trying to grow the pie, right? And so I I hope that for everyone that is, you know like reacting to this and thinking about how this, um, how this impacts them, that they only see this as us being able to, you know, improve or contribute to what they are able to do without, you know, taking away their resources. Cause that's, that's what we are trying to do. Right. And so, so I hope that like in general, I think that, you know, I don't have like zero sum thinking about this. And, and in, in reality, we are not actually trying to take any of those resources or compete for any of their funds or any of those things and or nor compete on the science, right? Like we don't want to be doing things. If it can be done elsewhere, they should do it elsewhere. Like we want to be able to tackle things that people aren't able to do due to their, due to their constraints, right? What can we contribute? What can we do? And sometimes it's just concerted effort, right? Like the nature of the type of funding that people are able to get, it's like very short lived and it's, um needs to be renewed and it depends on temporary workforce and all of these things, right? And so there are a lot of like logistical reasons people can't push forward on this kind of science and hopefully through even just concerted energy and effort and resources, you know, stable resources and, um, you know, developing new technologies and all of these things that, that may be things that they can't do in their, in their, within their own constraints. I hope that we can contribute in the gaps, right? Like how can we contribute in ways that other people are not able to do that can change what they are able to do in the future, right? And, and, um, With with um, working with us and and collaborating with us so that we can we can grow what is possible uh, to be done right and so that is what I hope happens so I you know I know that there are, there are, there are all sorts of people and and um and you know and th- that have opinions on what you know and of course in the open science space I've been working a long time of, at, with people who th- think different ranges of things are possible and this is definitely a bold experiment in that direction um, and so. Mm-hmm. Again, sometimes, you, you know, you can't convince people. You just have to show them. <laughs> um,
2: okay. So I, I, uh, we're getting a little bit close to time and your time is incredibly valuable. So uh, I, I mean, like we knew from the start, we were going to run out of time before we ran out of questions. So <laughs> I have two more questions for you. And then we have a third classic traditional question that we always ask of every one of our guests to close the episode off. So the first of my first two, or my last two questions is, what do you think is the most important problem facing us of uh in our time
0: oh man um I mean that's that's a hard that's question a hard question yeah I mean no no no. I mean I think I think in a, a lot you know I, I think climate change is obviously a big one like these are things that like are existential uh problems that we can think about that and that influence everything right like so I think that's that that is something that I think you know is always on everyone's mind. Um, And I think, you know, for us in our own world, like, you know, I'm a scientist, this is how, you know, I think about like how, you know, what are the big problems that we can solve? And I think that's what we're trying to tackle, frankly, with what we're doing, right? Is to try and rethink, um, you know, what's holding us back from maximally advancing what science, um, how much science we can do and for what reasons, right? Like, I think that if we Mm -hmm. break some of the structures that are holding holding back science and what's possible. And we can leverage for me, a huge problem is that we are not leveraging the like diversity of ideas in advancing science, right? It, we are both holding back, sharing it for reasons that I think are not good, right? For personal gain instead of for the advancement knowledge. And then we are also limiting who has access to it and who can contribute, right? And, and again, like, if you truly believe that, like, you know, good ideas can come from anywhere and we don't know where they're, you know, how, like we, we don't even know what we don't know and who we don't know, right? right? If you actually believe that thing, then the way we go about it is like preposterous, right? Like we funnel everything into like limited bottlenecks and gatekeep in every possible way. And like, I cannot think of a thing that is more detrimental to the advancement of science than limiting who gets to do it, right? And so like, that is something that is like, I feel very strongly about. And I think also like at the focus of, you know, the reason I believe in open science is that again, like in order to make it the, the, best it can be in order to leverage all of those ideas like how could we possibly how can it possibly be as good as it can be if we're like limited to what we can think of like you know it's just isn't yeah i can't i can't <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't compute like how that could be the case right so i would say that in when it comes to the advancement of science and the advancement of knowledge it's making sure that we share it so that more people have access to it and that mm. is a huge huge Um, I just think that's the, that's the one that is like really tractable, right? Like, I don't know how tractable this climate change thing is, right? Like, you know, and it's like we can, we should and could and need to try everything we can, but I think is, this is one that I know we can do. I think, I I, I don't know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it does feel like it's a whole trying to change how, the way in which we operate, but I really think it's possible And there are a lot of people who believe in that, right? In trying Mm -hmm. to make sure that that science is open and accessible to people so that everyone can contribute. And that, I mean, even if all you wanted to do was just do the best science possible, that's what you would do.
1: (laughs) I think they both feed into each other too, right? Like the the more science is open for everyone, the more chances there are for that science to do good work and translate into solving climate change. Right? Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is just for any, for any big goal that we think we have like this, I, I I don't see a way in which this, this doesn't um, act in furtherance of that goal and is a totally, Feasible, viable thing to happen, right? Like I think mm-hmm. it's it's totally possible. We just have to get out of our own way.
2: I mean, we live in the age of Alexandria, right? So let's give everybody all the Lego blocks, and then everyone can have as much fun as they want with it. Yeah. Um, the so the the in, I guess the, the reason I asked that question was um, I ran into this actually. Um, I mentioned this to Rowell when we had our chat, um, but I ran into what what Eo Wilson titled humanity's problem statement. And um, E.O. Wilson is like the, the legendary father of sociobiology. But he said humanity's problem statement is that we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technologies. And everything we see today is kind of like a consequence of that, right? Like, especially when you see some of the smartest minds of our generation are working on hacking our psychology to get us to feed into more ads or spend more time on social media. And no, like, I'm sorry, what? I'm not trying to take any shots at you. there, worry, but... right, I don't work on ads. We're good. <laughs> Um, But that was just a quick, um, a quick little tangent. I just, I don't know, like I, I heard that and I was like, wow, this sums it up perfectly. Like, this is incredible. So i just think my- we
0: give too much permission to ourselves to like act out of our own self-interest right like it's just it's a thing that is like super super pervasive that it's like because everyone does that and everyone feels comfortable with that we excuse it in each other and in ourselves and like that yes. needs to stop. like why like why is it that, that you know you know this is why i always get into this you know discussion with people about you know how we change things and 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 there's a huge you know my my philosophy on how we change things is very much like community oriented and and bottom mm-hmm. up and i really think that individuals Make a huge difference that you can be a person who operates in a way that you believe in, and you can spark like a, a you know the fire of change around you. And I like strongly believe in that thing, right? And I actually think that that has the has the power to change. You know, doing that in a million different places, wherever you know, people who believe in that live, like wherever that is, if you have a thousand fires of change, I think that is infinitely more powerful than like forcing people to do something, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so there is this constant tension about like, oh, if we change policies and if we change incentives and we change all of these things, like everybody else can fall in line, you know? And, and it's just like, I, I agree that we should be doing everything that we can, but I really have this really strong feeling that, that, that people, you know, we can get people to do the right things for the right reasons and not the right things for the wrong reasons. if we say like, oh, you have to change these policies and incentives first, then it's sort of like, okay, well, that just means that things need to be good for me in order to do the thing that's good for science. And like, like why, like, why can't we just do the thing? Why can't we just do the thing that is, that is, that is good for science. And if it's good for science and it's good for society, like it will be good for us. Right. Like ultimately Mm -hmm. we'll lift all boats, like it will get better. Right. But it's just being that short-sighted is a thing that we have gotten so used to. And everyone understands, and so I, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad that there are people that are pushing on every aspect of these things, and like it is important. To, you know, I'm, I'm not saying discounting the need to change policies and the need to change incentives, but relying on that thing as if, as if that is you know, that can really get us there alone. I don't believe in that thing because if you force, you know, if you at, you ask people to act in their own self-interest and then if ever that diverges from the thing that's good for science or society, like guess what they're going to choose? You taught them how to do that. You put exactly. them in a situation where they continue to chase their own self-interest, right? And I, I really think that if you, if you have a much more distributed um, way of going about change where people who believe in it are able to, you know, like communicate that to those around them, right? And and like really um, get some grassroots movement in that way. Like it will, that does go back and also influence policy and incentives, right? Absolutely. Like when people realize like the landscape in which they're operating, <laughs> right? That will change things. And I think that is lasting change and it's something that will, you know, get you much closer to something that that is productive for society than than like forcing everyone, like alone, doing that alone to force everyone through changing policies. No, and
2: I think that is actually, I just want to linger on this for one more second because I think it's such an important point. Um, one of the things I don't like about social media and I think, you know, being younger, you're a lot more impressionable, you know, you're still growing, you're still finding your identity and everything. And one thing that I don't like about social media is that there's this aspect of almost, I don't have a proper term for it. It's kind of like social loafing, but you see bad behaviors that you have perpetuated in others and because you see that same bad behavior in others, you excuse it in yourself, right? Cuz it's like, "Oh, other people are doing it. It's oh, not yeah. that bad that I'm doing it." Oh and man. If you look at just to highlight this further, like if you look at some of the the algorithm uh, algorithm reforms that have been happening in China, I can't imagine what kind of ramifications these are going to have, right? Cuz for example, if you look at I think Douzen or like whatever China's version of TikTok is, the way they've done it is if you're under I think 14 years of age, you're limited to only half an hour of use um, per day. And instead of you know softcore pornography or influencers dancing, you have patriotism videos, science videos, videos in museums and uh, like engineering videos, things you can do at home, things like that. Right, educational content that you can push onto these children. So instead of hacking their psychology. And forcing them to stay longer on a platform that really isn't helping them or teaching them anything. You're giving them the building blocks to start thinking about, oh, like maybe I can do this in my future. Maybe becoming an astronaut is something viable, right? And here's the path laid out to me. Like imagine the ramifications of that compared to what we have here right now.
0: I don't know, man. Like I feel like I could, I would make the opposite case, actually. Like I actually think that, like, you know, yes, it's true that there's like a you you get this, you know, you're like, at the mercy of the zeitgeist, like you're you're getting a lot of things and a lot of bad behaviors are getting amplified and you get people who are, you know, in their echo chambers and all of those things. But I think that the reverse is also true, right? Like getting Mm -hmm. people who like, who think differently who can inspire you like who can get you outside like just to see something else as different i think that that is a like incredibly powerful outside you know instead of just being at the mercy of like who's around you geographically like if i you know i i feel like how much different my life would be if i was like literally only seeing around me like what I was exposed to in like my academic life or whatever and not influenced by people who thought differently on social media or you know like that I learned so much from people just like blogging about their experience like in, in science and all of those things you know just seeing what like individual voices that's what I feel like social media gives you it's like you have you know individual voices that can rise up that are not subject to the gatekeeping of like people who have decided who, what is better. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what we have in academia is like, there's like this massive, like, gatekeeping of like who gets to have power and who gets to say you know what happens and I think that there is an equalization like there is like a democratization of voices that happens on social media and like yes that 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 doesn't mean that there aren't that powerful people aren't still powerful like of course they are right like and they have a big voice but you you can actually hear others right (laughs) which is something that doesn't normally happen and you can hear like the outliers and those can like seep into your psyche and I feel like that has been like totally transformative in my mind it's completely transformed like my thinking and my philosophies and my career and i and i think that that you know i think that being limited in that way or having somebody else decide what get what i get exposed to would be actually like so much worse you know like and i it's not that yeah, i don't hear you you know but i just i really believe in that idea of having broader community more voices more opportunity to to be influenced by something different
1: i think it's such a slippery slope i feel like we talk about it all day like the, the world of social media especially as it relates to like the idea of community I think there's a lot of positives to what you said, Damien, in terms of like living the time usage. And we've understood that that's a huge issue in our society. But on the flip side, yeah, there's just so many issues. And the problem is we haven't run large scale experiments like this before on our population, right? And, you know, the ethics of doing that is also in question, right? Like, how could you just take like a bunch of 14 year olds and say, we're going to change completely how you interact with the world. And like, especially that's during COVID because yeah, these guys don't even have friends at school anymore. Right. So it's a, it's a very interesting problem. And don't worry, David, I take no offense to that. Deal, all, all of the all <laughs> Cause indirectly you're calling me one of the smartest sides of my generation. So I'll take, I'll take that call. Um, but anyways, I feel like we can go on forever about this and we're kind of diverging a little bit for the focus of this episode. So I'm going to bring it back to a head and, and, Smashing our last question is since you have a bit of time with us left, and our traditional final question that we ask in the podcast, and I'm very excited to hear your answer, is if you could put any one message on a billboard that would reach millions, even billions of people, what message would you put on that billboard and why?
0: Oh man, I could tell you what my first reaction was when you said it. <laughs> I don't know if this is like my final answer, but go for it, go um, for it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I feel like. um, you know, if I could get everyone to rethink um, something, I would really would love for them to like exercise their agency and not feel constrained by, um, you know, it's easy to say, right? Like it's easy to say, um, but I think we tend to be conservative and, and think, uh, worry about the consequences of taking risks, or thinking differently, or doing things that we might believe in, and 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 it can feel and it's it, I, and I'm not saying that it's the same across the board. I know that p- different people experience the world in different ways, and there's clearly discrimination and retaliation and all of those things. I'm acknowledging all of those things that it is not the same for everyone, but I do think that every person still has that agency and and can exercise it in ways that they feel comfortable that, you know, that we don't have to do the most conservative thing and, and, and restrict ourselves from the benefits that come from, you know, trying to push forward in whatever way that, that we think it should be right. Like to, to, to operate in a way that we want the world to be, and and take whatever step we can in that direction that we feel that we can, right? And that we all have the the ability to decide that thing. And like, if I could just convince anyone to just, to not just accept wholesale, that that they didn't have that power, that, you know, it's just, it, it can be so simple to go from, you know, feeling like you're too vulnerable and too, like, junior or too powerless to do anything to feeling like, oh, well, only when you're in this privileged position, can you actually do anything that matters? And like, there is no middle ground, right? Like, so the only answer is to do it now. Like we just all have each and every one of us has to do it now. It's not somebody else's job. It's our job. Like we, it's, it's like our job and our responsibility. And we do have the ability to make a difference. And I hope that everyone feels that and, and takes advantage of it
2: beautiful so he's got to stick it to the man take a lesson yeah. from your work, right? <laughs> just
0: like my son right yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah right <laughs>
2: well, that was beautiful yeah, yeah. thank you so much Prachi for all the the wisdom the insights that you share with us I am personally incredibly excited about the future of Arcadia um I wish you the best not only just for Arcadia but just for the future of science as a whole uh, I think the open source is the most purest form of scientific pursuit so I hope to see that perpetuated more and uh yeah, I wish you the best. So, with the the last thirty seconds, is there anything else you would like to promote, or where can people reach you if they'd like?
0: Yeah, so yeah, anyone can feel free to like. So, I'm on Twitter all the time, <laughs> and so you can you can reach me at my uh, Twitter handle, which is at prachiac, and then um and then of course um you know you can reach me at um at Arcadia and like uh, you can go to our website, you can um it's got my email and my Twitter and everything on there, and yeah, and I'm just always happy to uh, talk science and and, and, and mm, work with people who like just want, who, who want to uh, envision something big and um, yeah. And want to move to a future of science that is, uh, that's better for all of us. So thank you guys so much. It was like really fun.
2: Yeah, no, it was our part.
1: You got me super excited about this feature. I'm not even in open science, but now, now I want to be so awesome. I <laughs> love
2: excited. it. I love it. Cool. And with that,
1: if you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. Thank you for listening. Think you got it? Nah, we're on the next iteration.